Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. All right, Seth, I'm coming to you from Torrey Pines. It means we need to take a moment to talk about the cat, the man who is etched in stone all over this amazing place, Tiger Woods, Eldrick. Now, he's won eight times, eight times as a pro here at Torrey. He's won the Farmers Insurance Open seven times. You win seven times on tour, you've had a hell of a career. I know a lot of really, really good players that have not won seven times on tour. This guy has won this event seven times. Dude has cashed more checks from farmers than everybody not named J.K. Simmons. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. But again, if you're talking Tory and you're talking Tiger, it's tough not to think about the putt. When I mention that, the putt, what do you think? You think about the one he rolled in from about 100 feet out from where I'm sitting right now. One stick on one stick. Remember that? He's gimping around here on one stick, and he rolled that one in from 100 feet. Or actually, where I'm about 100 feet from where it happened. When he had to have it, he got it. He gets into the 18-hole playoff with Rocco. He wins his last major. And, of course, that's what it's always been about for the Cat, the majors. And that's what 2019 is about, too, if you ask me. Because the last time we checked, at this time a year ago, nobody knew what to expect from this guy. In fact, Tiger didn't know what to expect from himself a year ago. When you're putting a peg into the ground on the first tee and you're blasting your bazooka into the hay and you're hoping your spine is not going to explode on impact, that's not a good thing to take with you onto the course. You don't want to be thinking about that when you tee it up. And I'm pretty sure your final swing before impact, your final thought should not be about your fused together spine, your fused together skeleton. But that's literally where that guy was at. A year ago. That's literally what he was thinking about when he went to dig his Bridgestone out of the rough on the very first hole of his comeback. But now you flip the calendar. Now we're a year later. Now this guy's not thinking about if he can twine and duct tape it together for 18 holes. Now he's thinking about the long haul. I know what my body can and cannot do. And so last year was a very fluid and it was like hitting, I'm trying to hit a moving target last year. And it was uh, quite interesting to try to figure it all out as the year progressed and it evolved. Uh, this year, I have a great understanding of what I, what I can and can't do. And there's not that uncertainty that I had you know, going into the year last year. After what I did at the end of, end of last year, playing a seven out of nine, nine weeks was quite a bit. Body held up better than I thought it would, even though I got pretty tired at the end. Overall, I, it held up pretty good. All right, so a year later. It's a totally different look, a totally different. Yeah, look, you know, I've spent a number of years talking about Tiger on this show. I've spent some time hyping him for being the greatest of all time, the GOAT. I've spent plenty of time taking runs at this guy for what he did off of the track and even on it. I've given him a tough time for giving whack excuses like, I can't get my glutes activated. It's just my, my glutes are shutting off, and then they don't activate, and then hence, you know, it goes in my lower back. So. The thing is, though, he proved a couple of things, right? He proved that he could play through an entire season with his glutes activated. The cat could play a full schedule and not end up on the Cairo's table. And most important, he remembered how to win. The guy can still win. So that's where we're at with Eldrick, and he will be here this weekend. He blew out the candles recently on his 43rd birthday, but the guy feels like a new man. He looks like a new man. He jetpacked his way all the way up the world golf rankings. He made the Ryder Cup team. He worked his way back into contention a lot faster than we all thought. And he finally ripped that W in the Tour Championship. So where does that leave him? He feels good. The course looks good. His swing is good. Now it's time to try to chase Jack once again. I mean, that's what his whole career has been about. 
but it's been stalled out on the side of the road with that hood up since bearing Rocco in extra holes. And that was back in 2008. That was more than a decade ago. So for everybody believing that Tiger is immortal and that a healthy Tiger will go back to dominating the tour like he did in the early 2000s, that's not going to happen. We know this. That guy's not coming back. That guy will never be back. The tour is way too deep right now. The young guys are way too good. Way too good. He will not dominate like that. And the fact is, history is not on his side. You run down a list of golf's all-time greats and count all the majors that they've run after one after the age of 43. You only need one finger. Just one guy, one major, and that, of course, was Jack at Augusta at age 46. But I got to tell you, I'm impressed that he's even put himself in a position to look at this. I said it during the comeback last year, and I'll double down on it right now. I think this guy's game is back where he can not only contend, but possibly win a major. And I think that most importantly, his body leads him to believe that he can get it done. So I'm going to start right there. He kicks off his 2019 in a place that he owns. He's swinging new wrenches. He's got a new lease on life. And he's right where he always has been as one of the betting favorites. And for the first time in a long time, when he's talking about green jackets and knocking off majors, it actually makes sense. It's worth having the discussion. Now you got to go do it, Cat. Now you got to go get it, Cat. So that's where we're at. This is pretty much his house. Tony Finau on location. <laughs> My man, it is so good to see you, Tony. What's, what's up? up? All, all good, man. Great to see you. Great. Thanks for having me on again this No, it's year. good to have you on. Always good Thank to have you. you on. All right, so before we get to golf, break it down. How you living? How was the time off? How was your life? It's been great. Yep, I haven't played... F- uh, on the PJ Tour for a couple months, but it's been it's been great just hanging out with family. We went to Hawaii over over our, our winter and and you know to get out of the snow in Utah. My wife is from there, so I mean it's been great just hanging out with the kids and uh, and being around as a dad for a little longer than a week or two. Right. It's been nice. So all right, so what's it like if you take some time off and then you pick up the bats? Is there any rust to knock off? What's it like when you kind of go re-entry and you work it back again? Yeah, there's always always a little rust when you take some time off. Um, and that was definitely the case, but you know I'm ready. To, I'm ready to get the year started here at Torrey and and look forward uh, to the week. You know, obviously the grouping I have is is, is an exciting one, but uh, just just to get the sticks back in the hand and compete again, uh, I'm ready to go. Tony Fino, my guest. I'm going to talk to you about that grouping in a minute. But you finished sixth at this <clears> tournament <throat> last year, which was a performance which included a first round 65. So for people who have not seen this track or played the track, how would you describe it, and how does it fit your game? Yeah, the the south course fits my game very well. I think if you hit it with some distance uh, on the south course, you can score. And you know, it being one of the longer golf courses we play all year, and one of the tougher tests we play all year, um, I, I like that type of golf. Uh, the north course actually is quite a bit tougher than it used to be. It used to be the golf course you score on, and and that's changed quite a bit. They've narrowed the fairways up, and and it seems like they they like to grow that grass and the rough a lot longer than even the south. So. All of a sudden, that golf course is just as hard as the South. So both sides um, are, present a challenge. But I do like playing here, and, and I've had some success in the, in, in the last few years. Yes, you have. Welcome to Tory Tony Finau, my guest. You mentioned who you're teeing it off with. Tomorrow at 1040, Xander Shoffley and Tiger Woods. That's a power trio right there. How do you go about approaching that? Yeah, I look forward to it. You know, having Tiger Woods as, as one of my teammates on the, on the Ryder Cup team was was something that was very special for me and now to be able to tee it up with him this year after the success he's had last year it's going to be it's going to be a great couple days um but more so i I look forward um to just getting my getting my year started and and hopefully off on the right foot tony finau getting things started here at tory now tiger is going to be the president's cup captain this year you got a taste of the Ryder cup last year how much does making the president's cup team motivate you now oh man It's, it's one of my biggest goals i have all year to be on that team, uh, you know, not only on the team, but having Tiger as the as the 
uh, as the captain is, is extremely special. So this is his first time as a captain. And again, one of my biggest goals on the year is, is to make that team, and it's going to be a special team to be on. We're talking to golfer Tony Finau. We're at Torrey Pines for the Farmers Insurance Open. Now, you had an amazing Masters last year. You shot a first-round 68 after nearly destroying your ankle <laughs> in that par-3 contest. How much pride did you take in not only that first-round 68, but then the 66 on Sunday, which gave you a top-10 finish? Yeah, I took a lot of pride out of that. Just uh, the perseverance uh, I went through all week and – just handling my ankle with my trainer, with my coach, and having overcome overcome those type of obstacles throughout the week. Um, I was extremely proud just to walk off that green and know that I gave everything I had uh, to be able to finish that golf tournament off. And, you know, I birdied six out of the last seven holes on Sunday. And, you know, I think that's going to serve me well, really, throughout my career playing at the Masters, um, to know on a Sunday that I could do that um, no matter what situation I'm in. You know, hopefully – Hopefully, down the stretch to win a green to win a green jacket. Uh, eventually, I have that in the memory bank uh, to know that I can finish that type of that type of golf off on that type of uh, tournament. You can always draw on that. You know, it's interesting because you had been invited to play at Augusta in the past, but you always turned it down yeah. and said you were not going to play until you knew you qualified <laughs> for the field. After it was official that you were going to be in the field, yeah. you went before Thanksgiving in 2017. You played with a member and a friend and your father. Yeah. So, what was the first visit to Augusta like, and what did that mean to share with your dad? Yeah, it was like a dream. It really was to step you know step on grounds finally at Augusta National uh, and to know that I'm going to be a participant in the Masters uh, it was everything to me the Masters is, is, the, is the most important golf tournament to me because it's the reason why I played this game in 97 the 97 Masters you know when Tiger won it changed everything for me you know I just how so just well just watching just watching him do what he did I I didn't really know anything about golf but my dad had it on and was watching and when I saw when I saw Tiger doing what he was doing, he made the game look cool. Uh, I was able to see someone of the same skin color as me playing a game that is mostly Caucasian and dominated by mostly Caucasian males. Um, so to see him, to see someone I could relate to, and and to see just how cool he made the sport look, I was like, man, I want to do that. I want to be that guy someday. So I, I, I convinced myself that I could eventually play the Masters and win the Green Jacket just like Tiger and and so the Masters means a lot to me so to finally be able to play that last year and have that opportunity to play that play with my dad in a practice round and and do all you know do those type of things on Augusta National um, it was a dream come true you check this out in sports there are smart moves and then there are moves that are not as smart you know like making sure to get to practice on time that's smart Parking in the coach's spot, not very smart. And the same thing is true when you're hiring. There are smart ways and not-so-smart ways to get things done, like job sites that overwhelm you with tons of the wrong resumes. That's just not smart. But posting a job on ZipRecruiter and letting them find the right candidates for you, that's smart. That's brilliant. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and then actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why it's rated number one by employers in the U.S. based on Trustpilot rating of hiring sites with at least 1,000 reviews. And right now, if you're listening, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash clones. That's right. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash clones. So if you're looking for a smart way to find the right talent to hire for your team, just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash clones today. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. ZipRecruiter.com slash clones.
Tony Finau joining us. You know, I wonder if that was the reaction you had when you watched him in 97. I can only imagine how many other people saw the same thing and had the yeah. same feeling. I, I feel like a lot of us on tour right now, uh, that 97 Masters was a huge deal for a lot of us. And, and, I'm, and I think I'm one of many guys really on the tour today right. that had that same experience. You know, Tony, you and I have talked in about your journey in the past, but for those who do not know, your father set up a mattress <clears throat> in your garage in the Rose Park neighborhood of Salt Lake City <laughs> so you and your brother Gipper could hit golf balls. Knowing that backstory, what was it like? I mean, when your father got you started like that, what was it like when you and your father were at Augusta together? Given where you started, oh my gosh! Uh, I mean, really, just humbling, just humbling for us. We look back on, you know, to me to look back on where I came from uh, and and that type of uh, upbringing. You know, we didn't have the funds to participate in tournaments and things, but we we found out a way uh, to make it work. My dad taught me how to work hard and um, and those type of circumstances. And, and next thing you know, we're standing on Augusta National last year and, and teeing it up together. Uh, it was extremely special, but. Uh, it's it's a great thing. It's a it's a great country to be in to have those type of opportunities at least just to um, just to advance in life. See, the thing is, Tony, when you mentioned that you didn't have the funds, you and I have talked about this too in the past. But if you go back to those days, I mean, you were dumping coins out of a piggy bank <clears throat> to make ends meet. Mm -hmm. Now you're number ten in the world. Now you're a Ryder Cup player. Now you're racking up one top ten after another in majors. You're tying records held by Gary Player. I mean, I'm not going to say that I'm surprised, but are you at all surprised, or did you think this is the way this was going to play out? Uh. You know, I, I've, I, I've always had high aspirations for myself and, and, and high goals. And, you know, one of the words I always use is stay humble and stay hungry. You know, I, I feel like I stay humble, but I, I'm always hungry. You know, every time I tee it up, I feel like I can do something special. And, and, and honestly, you know, I, I do my best to stay in the moment. I, I have aspirations and goals to achieve some great things, but, um, you know, I can only control what I'm doing now. And, and what I do now will predict what happens in the future. So, this week, I look forward to this week, and, and I've had some great success. Um, but one of the things you know I want to do this year is win. It's one of the things I didn't do last year. And so my mind's set on that, first and foremost, give myself an opportunity to win this week. And um, we'll see where, where the chips fall throughout, throughout my career. But that's the only thing I can control. Tony Finau joining me for a couple more moments. And you mentioned what a role model Tiger was for you for so many different reasons. You and I have also talked in the past about you being the first player of Tongan Samoan descent on the PGA Tour. So now people are looking to you. Like you looked at Tiger back in the day, what's it like to know that there are kids looking up to you as a role model and an inspiration? Yeah, I, I always get asked, what's what's the best thing about being on the PGA Tour or, or being a celebrity or whatever the whatever the case is? And I and I always say it's it's touching the lives of the kids that are watching me because I I got to see that I got to do that with Tiger. Tiger touched my life in a way that uh, was so special for me and that changed my, the course of my life. Um, I I have that opportunity. I have the opportunity to do that for for kids that are watching me. So I try, to, I try to live my life and, and, and be inspiration for kids on the golf course, and that's the coolest thing for me. When I see someone uh, that says, hey, you're my favorite player. I see a 10-year-old junior golfer. Uh, hey, you're my favorite player. You mind signing, signing an autograph? Take a picture with me. That's the coolest feeling to me because I know what it's like to be in that position. Tony Finau, my guest. Tony, one thought about the Ryder Cup. I mean, overall, the team result did not go the way that you would have liked. But when you look back on that kind of experience that you had, what kind of thoughts do you have? What was it like? It was an incredible experience for me. I'll never forget the feeling of uh, of walking walking off the green and uh, and and winning that final match, and then I'll never forget the feeling of of watching them celebrate in front of us on the 18th green. Um, you know, uh, again, I, I left humble and hungry. You know, I was hungry to to get back after. I want to make that team in 20 and, and return the favor to those guys. You know, they played incredible golf, but uh, as I, as I look at the week as a whole, it was a dream. It still was a dream and, and special week for me. I got to play alongside. Uh, 11 of the best players in the world and 
uh, some huge future Hall of Famers, uh, some captains that were incredible. So that whole experience uh, was was not something like I've never experienced before. I felt so special just to be on that team and, and, and to just contribute. Hey, now it's 2019. Are you still doing things the old way at work? New year, new you, right? So start the year off right by replacing that software that causes you angst and agony every single day. You know what I'm talking about. You know the one. You can find software you love that fits your business needs using Captera.com. Captera is the leading free online resource to help you find the best software solution for your business. So join the millions of people who use Captera each month to find the right tools for their business. Even I had to come to grips. This is not 1999. It's 2019. I've got a couple of hundred affiliates. That base is growing. I have to stay buttoned up and in contact with them, and Captera helps me do that. You should do the same. Go to captera.com slash Rome for free today. Find the right tools to make 2019 the year for your business. Again, captera.com slash Rome. Captera, C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A.com slash Rome. Captera.com slash Rome. Charlie Hoffman joins me on location. Charlie, it's been a minute or two, man. It's so good to see you. How are you? It's it's great to be back on the show. I mean, I, I love coming on the show and uh, rapping with you. I looked at it, man. It's been since 2017. So we skipped a year, so it's good to have you back. Yeah, we did We did something right before the President's Cup uh, last it. year, and that was the last time I was on the show. Dude, you're I, I, I still listen all the time, though. Good. I appreciate you. That's great. Now, you grew up playing at Stone Ridge, which is not far from here. And as we've talked about in the past, you went on to become a legend at Poway High School. What's it like to be back at Torrey, and how special is this tournament and this course to you? Uh, you know what? I mean, I played this tournament for the first time when I was 16 years old. I mean, it, this, I mean, this is my major. I mean, this is the spot where I grew up watching Stadler, Jacobson, all the guys play. I mean, so I, I come here and I have great memories and uh, hopefully make some even better memories uh, in the upcoming weeks. All right, so if you got your start and you played your junior golf around here, that can mean one thing. Mm. You went up against some of the best, and legend has it. You and Pat Perez used to get after it and battle back in the day. He's coming on the show next. What was he like back then? And I got to know, what were you two guys like when you were eight, nine years old? You know, yeah, I've known him since eight. San Diego Junior Golf uh, sort of carved us in who we are. You know, I would say uh, Pat was a little bit wilder than I was, but I, I had my wild side too. You know what? Uh, Pat's a great friend, known him forever, maybe the longest person I know playing the game of golf. And uh, obviously it's amazing to see both of us uh, make it on the PGA Tour and still playing in our, in our 40s. Charlie Hoffman joining us. I just love seeing guys do so well from the area. And when you talk about San Diego area golf, I had Xander Shoffley on the program earlier this month. He kept dropping your name in the interview. He kept talking about you. He could not say enough nice things about you. What do you make of him as a player and a guy? Well, he was dropping my name because he actually big-timed me to go on your show. We were, <laughs> we were supposed to be practicing and playing. No, so I was giving him a hard time. I was listening to the show, hitting some balls, actually. And uh, I'm like, really? You're doing Rome? And uh, you were supposed to be out here practicing? No, but uh, Xander... Uh, since day one, since uh, he turned pro, we sort of started hanging out. We have a mutual friend, Derek Ueda, that we do some putting stuff with here in San Diego. And uh, we practice all the time together. And I just try to give him the stuff I learned the hard way and uh, try to help him through the, through the rookie year, give him some tips. And uh, you know what? He's, uh, he's ran, ran with it. And now, now I'm trying to get tips from him how to, how to get in that top ten in the world. I mean, that kid is the real deal. Uh, he doesn't get enough uh, pub from the, these PGA Tour media people. But uh you know what, he'll, he's a name that you'll see in majors in years and years to come, and uh, he's a force on the tour. So he obviously thinks really highly of you, so he looks to you for a lot of help. When you were coming up, who was that guy for you? You know what, I like to just bounce around. I, I'd sit on that first tee and sort of find a veteran out and just go play with them and uh, just sort of pick their brain. Uh, 
as they're playing, how to play the golf course, what what they know, how to travel, and all all that good stuff. We didn't have a when I was growing up the the GPS system, the hotels, and all that stuff. I mean, it it was like the hard way. So you had to where what restaurants to go to. So yeah, you had to ask questions back then. And I, uh, you know what, I I wouldn't say one name really stood out. I mean, Jerry Kelly was a guy that was a veteran on tour. I used to love Jerry Kelly. Yeah, and uh, he, he used to bounce a lot of ideas i mean if you want a good restaurant in a, in a town you're playing golf at you go to jerry kelly and i like eating of course so he's, a, he's yeah. a wisconsin guy of yeah. course he's about the food <laughs> hey but let's not get it twisted he was hard nosed now that's yeah. a competitive guy jerry oh, he's kelly. he's as competitive as a guy. i mean hockey guy he wants to beat your brains in but uh after the round if you need to have a beer or something to eat he's the guy to hang out with charlie hoffman joining us you know you mentioned what it's like and the way things used to be you're on stomping grounds at stone ridge maybe 30 miles from here how long would it take you in your Dodge Colt back in the day to get over <laughs> yeah, here? You know, that Dodge Colt, uh, we used to jump that thing. We used to do a lot of things. I can't believe that thing still ran, and we, we sold it to somebody, some sucker. But uh, you know what? It, in, in the in the morning, uh, it, it would take a long time. There, there was no uh, 56 to get over here back then, and uh, we'd have to go through the back roads, and i get caught trying to take a shortcut or something. But one time, I don't even know if you've heard this story, I ran out of gas coming here. Come Coming on. to play the Come event, on. I ran out of gas on the corner of Genesee over here. Uh, j- almost made it. Bro, that's not, it's not no, like you're no. 16 and you just got your license. No, what was that, I, was that like last co- year? No, I'm in college, <laughs> and, my, and my golf coach, I just picked him up, of course. And <laughs> I'm on the corner, and I'm on a lower back road that really nobody would go on besides me to know how to get here. And no other, right after I ran out of gas, then Phil Mickelson comes right by me. And I'm jumping up and down. I don't even know if Phil knows who I am. I'm ran out in front of him and he's like i deer in headlights and i'm like i need a ride I, my, my car's dead no gas did he pretend like he didn't see you and blow no, right by you pretty much he, the only reason why i stopped is because i was in the middle of the road phil mickelson when i was in college at i think i was 19 at the time picked me up and took me here the best part about that he rolled up right in the first parking spot because he's a past champion <laughs> I got, front, got front row seating so what did you say to him when you flagged him down, and what did he say to you? He's like, what the heck are you doing? i like, I literally ran out did of gas. Did he know who you I, were? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I obviously played, grew, grew up playing San Diego golf and a, a kid in town, but he knew I was. He knew I was. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, there's nothing. The feeling of me, this is like, I think, before cell phones. I mean, I didn't even, I mean, this is 20-something years ago, and I didn't have any way to get a hold of anybody. And, it, I mean, God brought Phil Mickelson to get me to my tea time on time. I guarantee you. Dude, if he, if Lefty doesn't show up, you'd probably still be out there right now. I may be just, just barely getting here, uh, beating the traffic. But uh, yeah, it's a that's an amazing story, Charlie. That's a great story. I'm glad you shared that. And Charlie Hoffman joining me. We're at Torrey Pines. You know, last time you and I spoke was before the Presidents Cup, as you mentioned in 2017. As you look back on the experience, what sticks out to you the most? The, I mean, just the team camaraderie. Those team rooms are amazing. That's something I want to give back. Obviously, the competition that we play in, but the the, the hang that you really don't get on the PGA Tour, you get during the President's Cup and the Ryder Cups, and the, those are friendships you'll make. I mean, not that you don't have friendships out here, but those those friends are deep. You go you go to fight with those guys, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun. Obviously, we won. It was a great experience that way. Uh, but you know, at the just being in that team room and BSing with those guys and playing ping pong and and just just having a good old time so what's it like when these guys come together in a team because it's not a team sport and then all of a sudden you guys do come together but then you go back to your own to your own thing and you want to beat the hell out of each other again how's that dynamic work uh it's pretty easy because that's what's ingrained in us i mean we don't don't know anything better than beating each other's heads and uh, it's it's easy to change that mode for a week but it's easy to get back in it also but uh, you know it's crazy we even take it to the ping pong i mean we try to beat each other at brains and playing ping pong or any other any other thing we're doing in those team rooms and it, it, it's a lot of fun any good action on those ping pong games? You know what? Uh, 
it, the the crazy thing that sticks out in my mind is that Tiger and I took on a, a couple guys, and oh, no, Berger and I took on Tiger and another guy, and you know what? Tiger could barely pick up a ping pong ball off the ground, and less than a year later, he's playing the Ryder Cup. I mean, it, it, that that's insane in my head how that transform so fast. What do you think? I mean, I actually started the show by saying just that, that a year ago at this time, this guy had no idea whether or not that fused together skeleton would hold together, and then he has that great year, and all of a sudden he's right back on the hunt in everything that matters. I mean, what do you think when you see him right now, uh, given where he was a year ago? Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I just, I mean, I hope he doesn't play. I mean, for the PJ Tour, I hope he plays great when he plays, but, I mean, I think he needs to be careful and rest that back because obviously the PJ Tour is a better place with Tiger Woods and when Tiger Woods playing well. So I, I want him to take care, be healthy, and uh, when he's ready to play, be ready to play and be uh, ready to go. Charlie Hoffman, my guest. Now in the past, you and I have talked about the course at Augusta, how it fits your eye and your game. What do you mean by that? And then how much confidence do you have after shooting 66 last year? Does that carry over? Yeah, you know what? Uh, it's it's a game. It's a, a, a a game where you got to visualize every shot, and it just seems like when I get on those tees, I visualize, and the second shot's just it, 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 every shot I can visualize where the ball's going and which way it needs to move and where it needs to be on the green. It's a it's a very a strategic golf course where it's one day a pin placement on a hole could be a birdie hole, the next day you're hoping to make par just be, uh, just because where the pin is. So the, I think I got the strategy to go around that golf course. I think I got the patience to go around it. It's a place where I really enjoy playing. Obviously, length is a key out there. I hit it fairly long, but. You you get guys that can, if you can, you're strategic around that golf course you can you can win. Now, people who know know what I'm about to bring up. Back in 2017, you had that legendary moment at the Bridgestone Invitational where you told your caddy you were sick of finishing second. You decided to go for it instead of laying up from 282 yards out. That was a moment where you became a hero to a lot of viewers at home. Did you have any idea that that moment would become as big as it was? No, uh, it's one of those things. It's we, my caddy and I talked about all week. It's a layup hole, but when you're in the situation, I just lost in a playoff the week prior, and I didn't want to finish second again. I mean, this I I play the game of golf not because I make big checks for finishing top ten. It's for winning golf tournaments. I've only won four times on tour, and oh, this is my 14th year, so the percentage isn't very very good. So when you get in that get in that hunt, you need to try to close the door. And it's one of those situations where I thought we need to take a risk. Uh, it, it paid off. I made it, but I, I didn't end up winning the golf tournament. So where does that leave you? I mean, I was going to make that point that you have the four wins. You've had more than a few seconds. I mean, you're, you're playing really well if you finish second. You're cashing a big check if you finish second. Do you take pride in those excellent performances, or is there just disappointment because you didn't win? It, I mean, it's, some are different than others. There's been right. weeks where I've had two holes, two holes to play and been up two and lost, and there's been weeks where I'm five back with three to play and bury the last three and finish second. So obviously the, when you don't have a chance to win, really, and you finish second, it's a good week. But those weeks that you uh, sort of blow that lead, it's it's not a good feeling when you finish second for you know, sure. We talk about it, Charlie, in horse racing. There are some really good seconds yeah. and some not-so-good seconds. Yeah. It really does depend. Now, at the Century Tournament of Champions earlier this month, the tour experimented with mid-round interviews for TV. You're a great interview, but how would you feel about doing one mid-round? Would you be cool with that, or is that a distraction? I think it's horrible, personally. I don't think it looks yeah. good on TV. I didn't I didn't like it. I watched a little bit of it. Uh, I just, I think it, for for the pace of playing the game of golf, I think it slows everything down. It takes you out of your mental, I would say, rhythm, uh, what you're doing, thinking about shots. I, I don't I don't like it. I'd say no to it. Uh, now, if you get a good interview and guys like, like to talk while they're going down the fairway, fine. Good. So be it. I'm not going to be that guy, though. We're talking to Charlie Hoffman. Now, you and your foundation yes. are celebrating your 10th anniversary, and during that time, you've raised and given back $2.5 million to the community. When you and your wife, Stacy take a moment and think about that yeah. number for a minute. Two and a half mil. What's that represent to you? You know, that's two and a half mil back. That's what we've given right. back to the communities in which we live in, which is amazing. I mean, you think about that as just a 
starting in someone's backyard. We thought we'd have a great event and play a little bit of golf. And uh, now we're we're over at the Belly Up in Solana Beach. We had Don Felder play this year. I mean, great live auction items, great pros playing my foundation event on Monday. We had from Ricky Fowler to Xander Shoffley to Gary Woodland. I mean, you can name it uh, on and on. But it, it, to have the pros support our foundation, the community in which we live in is unbelievable. And, uh, we grossed uh, over five hundred grand in a day and a half, which wow. is uh, which is real money, and it's going to go back to the communities and to, to kids. Our mission statement for the Charlie Hoffman Foundation is children's charities, and uh, in San Diego, we give back to San Diego Junior Golf, Pro Kids Golf, and Cystic Fibrosis. So it's uh, a lot of good uh, charities we give back to, and we're making a difference. It's a great cause, and you mentioned it in the early years of the foundation. You were doing it in your backyard. Now you're doing it. On the North Course here at Torrey, every player who doesn't have a scheduling conflict shows up and participates. What's it been like watching this thing grow the way it has? You know, uh, it's I, I grew up, I remember being asked to do it, and I'm like, this was my second year on tour or something, and I'm like, you really want me to take over Craig Stadler, what he was doing? I mean, I've only been on tour a couple of years, and uh, I didn't think or know I'd be on tour for this long, and it's been a great accomplishment, accomplishment to do that, but be able to give back to the community for 10 years, it's amazing. I mean, I, I grew up... Uh, dreaming of being on the PGA Tour, winning golf tournaments, but I never dreamt that I'd be able to give back to the community in which we do, my wife and I, and it's a, it's a great feeling. All right, so when you say you didn't know that you'd be on tour this long, when you first got started, when you first hit the tour, what was the plan? What was the goal? Uh, the plan was a, a rock, a big old long mullet, <laughs> stick out a little bit uh, <laughs> with the hair. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it, it's nice the golf game sort of took over, the hair went away, and uh, I'm still uh, noticeable on the golf course. Hey, listen, I would never start with the hair, but the hair was a thing now, all right? That that, that was a beautiful and legendary moulet. Do you miss it? <laughs> uh, not at all. I, it's funny. I get obviously family pictures at home, and I, I always walk by, and you get a good chuckle of what you used to look like, and my kids really don't remember me because I think I cut it when my oldest was about two. So it's one of those things that unless you see a picture of it, they don't really remember, remember me as it. But uh, you know what? I rocked it. I, I uh, loved it, and uh, it's not coming back. I mean, dude, there was power in that thing, right? <laughs> was there not power in that mullet? You know what? I think I've had a better career after it, so I think I, I the power is now with the shorter hair. <laughs> All right, one more thought about that ride. Remember the uh, Dodge Colt. What color was that car? It, it was like a pinkish gray. It was horrible color. I mean, it was bad, like a pink salmonish, I don't even beige. I, it was mixed. It was horrible. How did you get the Dodge Colt? Where did you get that info? Uh, where did you? What were you? I got a better question. What the hell were you doing driving a pink Dodge Colt? <laughs> it, it was my grandma's old car, and she had passed away. And it was, I think the only thing my parents would give me. Sorry, I asked. <laughs> sorry about. It's Mattress Firm's President's Day sale. Right now, save up to $600 when you get a king bed at a queen price and a queen for a twin. Like a Serta Perfect Sleeper Queen mattress, now just $499.99. Plus, take home a free adjustable base when you spend just $499. Don't wait. Visit mattressfirm.com or a store near you for our best deal of the year. Your budget stretches further at Mattress Firm. Offer valid with qualifying purchase. Restrictions apply. Valid at participating locations only. For offer details, visit mattressfirm.com slash sale. <laughs> you know this guy. If you know him, you know what he's about. But a lot of you did not until he did our podcast. And when I had an opportunity to bring Pat Perez onto this show, I knew I had to do it. Pat, dude, it is so good to see you, man. How you feeling? I feel great. How you doing? I'm doing great. Now, listen, you're a pro. Pro's pro. I say this respectfully. <laughs> but the reason I have so much respect for you is because, and the clones, the reason they love you is because you let it rip. I want to remind you, this is not your show. This is not my <laughs> podcast. You and I got to be on our best behavior. It's terrestrial radio. No F-bombs, nothing like that. That's going to be tough for me. You know? I was going to say, you're going to be all right. It'll be tough. I can do it, though. I think so. You're going to be all right. <laughs> Pat Perez joining me. All right, so here we are at Torrey Pines. Now, I had Charlie Hoppin on the program. 
and we were talking about what it's like to be from the San Diego area and playing this tournament. He's from Poway. You're from Torrey Pines. Hi. What's it like for you to come back and play this track and play in this tournament? Amazing. You know, I've been, I've been playing against Charlie since we were eight, eight years old. So, you know, unfortunately, I've seen him get uglier and uglier every day. But uh, he, uh, you know, we, we love coming back here. This is our favorite event. I mean, it, you know, the crowd, the town, everything's just amazing. The tournament, farmers, the whole tournament's amazing. Um, you know, this is, this is definitely my fifth major. I mean, this is, and I'm sure Charlie said the same thing. Paparez, my guest. Now, more specifically, this is the course that you used to work at when you were a teenager. You take the bus over from Cardiff. It's the course where you said that you were, quote, wiping down carts or kissing ass to another foursome for some extra cash. That's it. All right. So, I mean, that's it. So does it feel completely normal that you're now here teeing it up in PGA Tour events or on some levels, this thing kind of still a little bit surreal? Nah, it's kind of both. You know, I, I've been doing it so long now. It's my 18th year, so I, I'm more used to it. But when I come back here, I always have the memories of what I used to do. And, you know, of course, the uh, I don't know if I told you on the podcast, but when I got my card the first time, it was the first year they changed the course. So I knew every you did, blade you did of grass. did not tell that story. Go ahead. I knew every blade of grass. I knew every <laughs> slow. I knew everything. I knew every break of the green. And, of course, the first year I get my card in 02, they changed Change the course. Up on you. And now I'm like, I got out of here. I go, what? What the hell happened here? I mean, I knew everything, and all of a sudden now there's like 800 more yards, and the course is hard. I go, oh boy, this is gonna be tough. But uh, no, I have I have so many great memories being here, and you know, it, it's so awesome to come back here. Pat Perez joining me here at Torrey Pines. One more detail from back in the day when you were caddying, John Daly handed you his Cobra Ultra Mid with the red titanium shaft and the Kevlar face. What was it like getting your hands on that thing for the first time? And then how does that compare to the clubs that you're swinging right now? Oh, it couldn't be any more different. You know, I carried for a guy that was in John's group, and it was in, it was in 92, and he just won, obviously, the, uh, the uh, PGA there. And, you know, it was unbelievable. John was the biggest thing going in the game right now at that time, and it was so cool to be in his group. And someone said, hey, this guy swings like you, and he hits it like you. He goes, all right, well, let me see it. So, you know, we get on number eight on there in the north, and, he goes, uh, all right, I want to see it. I've heard about it. I want to see it. And, he, you know, he was about 20 yards behind me. And I, you know, and I, no, no, but I mean, off the tee. Right. And I hit, and I was just past him okay. off the tee. So it was unbelievable. John's been like a brother ever since I got out here. And it's uh, to, to go back to think that when I met him when I was 15 and then get on tour and be able to hang out with him is, is just so, it's so amazing. Pat, give me a good JD story. One that you can uh, tell I on this show. I can't tell on this show. There's none. None? No. none? I, had, I had lunch with John one day. That's, that's a, a great story, story bro. That's, a, that's an amazing story. <laughs> that's the only st There's none other that I can tell you. Yeah, are there no stories that you can clean up on this show about JD? Uh, I mean, if it's not there, don't force it. But No, there, there's plenty there. I'll, I remember waking up. I, had a, I always used to have a party at my house, and I woke up. I actually didn't wake up. I rolled over on my bed, and he was just to the right of me right here, and he had an empty bottle of Crown, a handle of the Crown, at like 5.30 in the morning. And I looked at my wow. son, what the hell are you doing? You know, oh, Bubba, you know, I got to play that Pro-Am at 720. I said, you might want to get in your Hummer and get out of here. My, his Hummer was parked on my rock, almost knocked over my cactus. It was parked sideways in my yard. Incredible. This guy's incredible. I mean, I got a million stories, unfortunately, that um, I can't really tell. But so you can come back on the podcast. Yes. Or I'll go on we'll, your show. We'll do some on no, that. We'll do it. We'll do but, that. Hey, listen, if golf is the hardest thing in the world, what's golfing hungover like? How hard is that? The worst. I used to do it all the time. I can't do it anymore. I just literally can't do it anymore. It's uh -huh. uh you know, at 40, I'll be 43 in a month. It's impossible to do it now. Can't do it. You know, Pat, it used to be like, and I'm older than you, it used to be that when you got after it, it was always worth it. No matter what, everything's no worth matter it. What. Everything's worth it. No matter what, it's worth it. No matter what, it is worth it. Now it's never worth it. It's never worth it. What happened to us? Especially it now with a screaming baby. Yeah, now I got a screaming baby that's up at 1130, 1, 330, and 5. 
trying to get smashed. I mean, I try to get smashed between like two and seven now in the afternoon. <laughs> you got to so schedule I, it. Yeah. So then I can put her to bed and then I actually get like five hours of sleep before I'm up all night. So that, uh, yeah, that's all changed. But no, it, it's never worth it anymore to, to do it. Pat Perez joining us. Now, something else about back in the day. It, when you came here, you used to roll up in tournaments with clubs that did not fit wearing high top Reeboks. <laughs> How would you describe that look back in the day? And tell me you were going with the pumps. Back in the day, no, it Reebok was the. Pumps. I didn't even. I couldn't afford the pumps. I, I. It was that Reebok. It looked like a women's shoe, but it wasn't. It was the Reebok uh, high top. I can't remember what the hell it was called, but uh, I had those, and you know, I had this. Uh, I had actually had a company called Montecito that was, uh, you know, giving me a discount on clothes, and I, I, I was able to wear those during Junior World when I won. But uh, no, we didn't have a whole lot. I got a lot of my stuff uh, from here at Tory, uh-huh. and, and when I won Junior World, I had a friend, Mike Padilla. He had these beautiful, brilliant. Uh, pin clubs that uh, he let me use, and when I won, he gave them to me. You know, I couldn't afford the grips on them, but that was uh, that was pretty cool. You know, we talked about this on the podcast. You grew up with Charlie Hoffman, but you grew up with Tiger as well. I mean, yeah. you've known him a long, long time. Yeah. You guys played the junior circuit together, and then you beat him down. You beat him by eight strokes. <laughs> the last at time Torrey. it's happened. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't happen very often. You won the junior world title in '93 yeah. when you were a senior in high school. You beat him by eight strokes. What do you remember about that day, and how did that feel? I remember. You know, I wasn't really worried about him because he was so far back. Believe it or not, I've never been able to say that. But that was the that was the one day where he was behind me, and of course, you know, Tiger was the. He was so unbelievable. I played against him. We talk about it all the time, you know, at Presidio Hills, and then we went to Mission Trails, and then we went to Balboa, and then we went to, you know, and then we came here. And he was going for his eighth title, and he was the guy of the guy in junior world. I mean, it was no no question about it. But I had played this course so many times. I played it every day in the summer until the tournament came. So I knew everything I was going to do, and I couldn't have been any more prepared to play it. So I think I had a little more of an advantage there, even though he was the best. But, uh that was incredible. I saw I saw Tiger yesterday. I talked for about twenty minutes. He looks he looks phenomenal. Uh-huh. He looks, yeah, what, what do you ready. make of where he was a year ago and where he is right now? Incredible. And did you see did you see that happening? I mean, this is a different cat now. I understand no, that. No, and I said that. I said I was in I was in Singapore a year ago when I said they interviewed me. I said, "What do you think about Tiger?" I said, "You know, guys, I said he looks phenomenal. He's got the speed. He looks like he can swing. He's not in pain." I said, "The biggest thing, he's not in pain." What I think would happen to him with his back surgeries is he had all these surgeries and the guys missed, and then finally the last one when they fused it, they got it right. You know, the mental part of him has always been the strongest of anybody I've ever seen. So that was not the question. When you physically can't do it, I might pull that last week from a hangnail. You know, I mean, that's how much pussy right. I am. You know, but this guy, this guy, you know, he had all these back surgeries, knee surgeries. You know, he just couldn't physically do it. So they asked me, I said, what do you think? I said, with his speed and with his knowledge of the game and everything, I said, there's two things going to happen. It's exactly a year ago. I said, he's going to make the Ryder Cup team and he's going to win a tournament. And both things happen. And after that... All right, so you, all right, so you called that perfectly. What do you think is going to happen to him this year? If you've got to make another prediction for that guy this year, what would it be? Well, there's two major courses I think he's really going to do well on this year, which is obviously Augusta, which he's won four times. And I actually think he's going to win at Pebble because he's owns, he owns Pebble. And he's going to be healthy. He knows how to play his open there because he won by 15. You know, I see the same kind of thing happening. I, I've called him to win two majors, and those are the two. I think he's going to win the ma- uh, Masters and the U.S. Open. Pat Perez joining me live. We're at Torrey Pines. Hey, Pat, you and I talked about this on the pod, but I think it's important enough to reset right here. This is one of my favorite parts of our conversation. Look, I'm not a fanboy. I don't play favorites. They pay me not to play favorites. That said, Anthony Kim is one of my favorite athletes ever. Not one of my favorite golfers, one of my favorite athletes. Not one of my favorite athletes, one of my favorite people. He's golf's most mysterious dude. Yes, he he explodes on the seed, seeing he runs red hot, and then he disappears, seemingly never to be seen or ever heard from before. What was your relationship with him like? And what was he like as a dude and a player back in the day? Player-wise, he was unbelievable. He was one of the best I've ever seen. I think he would have been, uh, I think he would have been still the top 
probably guy under 35 right now. In my opinion, I think he would have won some majors. I think um, I think he'd be right there with Rory, you know, having close to four majors. I think he would have been amazing. You know, you, you saw how he was at the Ryder Cup. That's just the way he was. You know, the guy's been over on his own here since he was 16. Um, you know, but he's, like you said, he's hot. He doesn't listen to anybody. He kind of does his own thing. And Does that sound know. familiar, Pat? Yeah, kind of. Okay. But, uh, no, I got along with Anthony Gray, and then we got into some heat one day, and, and we got into a fight, and then we uh, – it was all good. It's like I don't know. It's like a mutual respect after that. Some maybe like because somebody actually stood up to him, and which is and why I still back. talk. Yeah, which is why maybe he still talks to me. But um, how'd the fight start? What were you guys doing? Yeah, we were just John on the putting green. We had uh, <laughs> we were John, and then the John got a little bit more uh, somehow. It got personal, probably. Yeah, I got personal, and then there was some, you know, there was some race thrown in there back and forth a little bit, which I didn't really appreciate. But uh, you know, there was some mother stuff in there, and um, he, it kinda, he threw it some race hot. at you. It was both. Yeah, it was that. He threw it at me, and then it's like, you know. He, and then your moms were brought up. Yeah, and then that was brought up, and it got hot. This is all five minutes before I'm getting ready to tee off at Colonial. And this is like where we're at. I go, man, this little bastard. And then. Did you give my dude the hands? No, no. And then you know, later on, we, um, we we talked about it. We got, and we're, we're cool. We've been cool for about five years now. It's been awesome. I talked to him all the time. Pat Perez joining us. So what's he doing? If you talk to him all the time, what is that guy up to? He's not to? doing anything. He's got like seven dogs now. He built the new house in Dallas. He's just hanging out. He's chilling. He's a uh, dog he's got, guy. Yeah, he's got like, he says he's got a drink. He's got some medical sales, uh, medical stuff doing. He's got some stuff in Korea going. He says he's doing unbelievable. He's like, you couldn't pay me to come back to the tour. Wow. So he's good. He's he, fine. He, does, he has, wants nothing to do with it. Doesn't play, a, doesn't care. He's got his dogs. He's got his dough. He's fine. Doesn't care. Now, when you talk about it, adversity and physical things, a lot of people thought your career might be over back in 2016. Me too. When you had, okay. When you had that torn labrum. What what did it teach you being away from the game? What did you learn about yourself and the sport? Well, I learned a lot about not really about myself. It was, you know, I had full stress when I came back because I only had 15 starts. So, uh, you know, like I told you in the podcast, Callaway dropped me. So now, but at least they dropped me early enough that where I could get to get some new stuff. So I called up my boy uh, Taylor Made and, and Titleist, and then I called up Matt Rollins to get some uh, get a set of PXGs, and. Um, you know, I got all those, and we, we hit them all. And, you know, then Callie came back with some some little offer. And uh, my caddy goes, you know, you're out of your mind because your, your equipment is so much better. You're so much better with this stuff. You're out of your mind if you go back for that little number and use the stuff on the fourth quarter. You only got 15 starts. And I wind up, you know, making a million six in those four starts huh. and winning. And, you know, and then I got a PXG staff. And it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. The, the, the whole thing that's happened the last two and a half years, I can't even get over it. I can't even – I would have never been able to think that – in March 8th, when I had surgery, coming out of there, sleeping in a sling on the couch for a month, and then going to Malaysia, I got a spot from Todd Reinhardt, which, you know, it, the funny thing is if I hadn't gotten that start, I don't know if I would have started that year. Huh. I wouldn't have started there. I might have waited till Sony, which would then cost me a win and all that cash, a two-year exemption, all that kind of stuff. The whole, the whole way it played out, I can't even describe it because I didn't really think about it at the time. I think about it now. But, uh, no, I, I did not think uh, coming out of that surgery that, that, that this was all so, going to happen. So how did you do that? How did that just thing hard go working. I changed, when I got out of when I got out of surgery, when I started swinging, I could really only swing one way, because to protect my shoulder, I had to take all the impact out. I used to be a real deep digger in the ground and that kind of stuff. Now I'm trying to hit more up on it to take the pressure off my shoulder and my elbow because I can't go down after it. I don't want to screw up that shoulder again. So miraculously, I started hitting it kind of higher and, and not as far, but straighter. And then my short game got better, and I, I just worked on my putting a lot and. You know, to go from surgery March 8th to never know if you're going to swing a golf club again and then win in November it's and then insane. have a happy Christmas is like That's I would incredible. never, ever even thought that could be done in one year. Pat Perez, my guest, and you're repping G-Rod on your shirt this week. For those who do not know, who was Greg and what kind of an impact did he have on you in your life? 
Yeah, my boy Greg Rodriguez, he uh, he killed himself this year. Uh, or last year, you know, he uh, I've known Greg so long, about thirty years now, and you know, he was part of the he was part of the crew. He was our crew when he came out every time we hung out with him, we saw him at the track, we always hung out with him. He was, you know, one of my brother's best friends. And uh, you know, he got on the piss one night and and he just had enough. You know, but there was kind of some signs earlier that you know he kind of mentioned it, but you know, nobody ever thought really anything serious of it. But he did. He uh, took a shotgun and blew his head off, and I got the call from my boy Chris, and I was like, "You got to be kidding me, man!" That's uh, it was it was it was tragic. You know, it was tragic, and his family's devastated, and all of his friends and everything. It, it, it's unbelievable. You know, you you see all these celebrities and all these things killing stuff, but it doesn't really hit you until one of these guys hits you and their your people. I mean, you know, the only thing I can tell you is. Anybody out there that if you ever even see a sign, if you ever hear of anybody say, oh, I'm off myself or anything, take it seriously because I've never said that. And none of my other friends have said that. He mentioned a couple of times we didn't think anything of it. And then he gets so drunk. I mean, you know, his BAC was 0.34. You know, so, you know, all I can tell you is if anybody's got problems out there, that is not the answer. It just is not the answer. It is not that bad to where you got to take it because for me, it's the most selfish act you can make because now you've left it on your parents. Your siblings could be a wife, could be your kids, could be anything. It, it, it's, it's just uh, the impact of it is, is something that they don't understand because they're gone. But the impact for the family and the friends is is uh, is amazing. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. Yeah, look, I'm not going to profess to know what he or anybody else in that situation is going through. I mean, obviously in a really bad way. If you're doing that, yeah, obviously a really really bad way. I would imagine that when you look at something like that, that's something probably you and the family you never really get over. You just hope to get beyond or get yeah, through, you hope right? Yeah, get beyond. I, I can tell us if anybody's got that problem, please call somebody. Just call a family because anybody. If you go to somebody, if you have any real people in your in your life, and you go to them with a real problem, they will stop everything they're doing at that minute and try to help you. You bet, guaranteed. So please. Don't take that action. Call somebody. Get help. There's all kinds of stuff out there. That is not the end that uh, anybody needs to go through. And it's really sad. And we miss Greggy. And, uh, you know, I'm going to have G-Rod on my shirt this week. And all our friends will be out here to kind of, you know, we'll be able to tell stories and, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of playing with a heavy heart for him this week, being back in town and not being able to see him. So I appreciate your thoughts on that, Pat. That is tough. So last thought, when you consider where you were physically after the tour in Labrum, you know how the tour goes, man. Nothing is guaranteed. Nothing, Nothing. is guaranteed. you got to keep grinding and keep producing or you're gone. Looking at that, how much pride do you take in the fact that you're in and you're out, man? You're still here. No, I you're can't still here. Yeah, I'm not the guy that's supposed to be out here every year. You know, I was supposed to be, uh, when I got kicked off the ASU team, I was supposed to be a garbage man. So I think I've done pretty well compared to a lot of the guys that were supposed to be tour stars. And, you know, I'm a grinder. I grind it out. I know what I want. Um, you know, I got to work a lot harder than some of these guys. You know, Justin Thomas, Tiger Woods, these guys, you know, they're, don't get me wrong, they work hard, but they have a lot of talent, a lot of gift. I, my game's not really that way. I got to work hard to uh, to kind of fight with these guys. So, um, you know, I love it. I look back and I think, man, this is my 18th year in a row. I can't believe I would have never dreamed that this would all have been my way, you know, coming up on 43 years old. But uh, I don't take it for granted. I love it. Uh, you know, I've, I've got a lot of, uh, you know, great comments from people out there and, you know, support and all that kind of stuff. I never thought that would happen. I just, uh, you know, thank everybody that's been in my circle and everybody that's, you know, supported me forever. Hey, Pat, I'll be straight. This this is a great conversation. This is a great conversation, but not as good as the one you and I had on my pod <laughs> because you could do you and be you. Did you get any reaction from the clones, from my uh, listeners? What did they say? Because I don't think all of them knew who, who you were, what you were about, and they no, do now. They do. It was awesome. I got, a, I got great response from a lot of people that uh, listen to your show. It was, uh, it was cool. I had some people that never heard of me. I had some people that had heard of me, but you know, they don't realize that that's just, that's just the way I am. I'm just a normal guy. I happen to be able to play golf for a living. You know, I can make some money doing it. Um, but I'm a normal guy. I'm like everybody else. I'm a, you know, I'm a dad now. I don't sleep anymore. You know, I like to drink. I like to hang out with my friends. I like to party, you know. 
I'm just like everybody else. I just kind of let my hair down a little bit more, kind of literally. But uh, you know, I let my hair down a little bit more than <laughs> yeah, most. But, yeah, I'm, but I'm Pat, you're, Pat, you're a normal guy, but you're an extraordinary bleep talker. All right? Yes. <laughs> Let's be straight about that. So your show, really quickly, when is your radio show on? Where do they find it? Tuesday nights, Sirius XM, uh, Channel 92, 8, uh, 8, p.m. To 8, uh, 8 p.m. to 10 Eastern on uh, Tuesday nights. It's on live. Call in. Anybody call in? We got all kinds of topics we bring up. We got we get off we get it's called out of bounds because we get so far off topic of golf that give me an example. How far out of bounds? How far out of bounds? Oh, it could be anything. I mean, we have guys calling in. You know, well, remember the the tiger pictures and all that kind of stuff. Sure. We had people go so far off the deep end <laughs> with these chicks and what they thought about Lindsay and all. This. I'm like, guys, you know, this is. Uh, <laughs> We gotta kind of try to get back to the rough over here, okay? If we can a little bit. Why, man? Play out of bounds. Yeah, no, we did though. But that's what we do. That's what people love about our show, is we'll get on a topic. We can stay on there for two hours, but we get all kinds of people to call in because it's not just about, oh, did you see him make that putt? You know, I don't care about the putt. Okay, I really don't care about even talking about golf. But you know, we get some of that and we get some of the other. So yeah, the show's kind of great a, until golf comes up. Yeah. Well, why does golf keep getting in the way of your program? Well, the number one thing is people always want to talk about Tiger. That's the number one thing that every you know every Tuesday we get more people calling in about Tiger, which I get. Don't so get me wrong. I was going to say, Pat, so where do you come out on that? Last thought, where do you come out on that? Because you're the first guy to say this. You know he has made so many guys so much money and oh, brought yeah. so many eyeballs to it. I know you respect that. I know you appreciate Everybody that. Everybody does. But if that's all they want to talk about, does it get old? No, it, it, does, a, it does a little bit You because know, there's so many young players that we could talk about now, you know, and – uh, you know, talking about Tiger is like talking about, you know, the sun being up in San Diego. It's all the time. You know, it happens all the time. You know it's fantastic. You know it's going to be great. I mean, we know, everybody knows, you know, that they should thank Tiger for being born, and, and you know, <laughs> they should. I mean, we all of us out here, we would never have this kind of money to play for and all these things that came our way if it wasn't for that guy. And just thank God I happen to be the same age of him, you know, so I could I could uh, reap the benefits. I said that. but. Uh, and you beat him by eight strokes. Yeah, as a senior in high school. The one time they can't take that from you. <laughs> the twenty-sixth year anniversary. Um, but you know, how did you is, how did you celebrate the twenty-fifth anniversary of that beatdown? Is I that didn't. gold? Is that silver? Is that tequila? What is that? I don't know. It's it's always screwdrivers. Always the same. I'm on this forty-four North kick. Tell me. So What's it's that forty-four like? North Huckleberry Vodka, and I mix it with Sunny D, uh. and it's like drinking Kool-Aid. It's nothing. The problem is you can go through a bottle and not even know it. Then all of a sudden, right? about five minutes, you know it. I remember the first time I went to New Orleans, and I went to. Patty O'Brien's, oh, they yeah. were selling the uh, the Hurricanes, and I'm like, this thing's a joke. What's all the hype? What's all the hype? Yeah. You have one, I'll take another one. It's just Kool-Aid. Yeah. And then you're in a gutter. You don't no, well, you lay down, and you're in a hurricane. Right. You got to call them the spins, the tornado. He was an NCAA champion at Arizona State, a two top ten or in five tournaments since October. Pat Perez joining us here on location. Pat, I appreciate you. The podcast was absolutely amazing. This was a blast, too. Let's do Thank another you very one. Much. Let's do it again. Let's do the podcast. Boys oh, are man. ready. You got it, Pat. Good seeing you, man. Thank you. you. Thank you. Small business owners, listen up. Do you need help managing cash flow, hiring employees, purchasing inventory, or upgrading your office space? Getting access to capital is incredibly challenging and it's time consuming for small business owners. I've got your solution. On Deck, On Deck is 100% committed to small business owners with fast, easy, and tailored financing. You can get funding in as quickly as 24 hours with term loans up to $500,000, lines of credit up to $100,000, none of which require business collateral. On Deck is the secure financing service that business owners everywhere can truly rely on.
If you're a small business owner and you need access to capital, go to ondeck.com slash Rome. That's ondeck.com slash Rome right now. As an exclusive listener to this podcast, you will receive a free consultation with one of their U.S.-based loan specialists. You can apply online or by phone and get approved in just minutes. Once again, go to ondeck.com slash Rome. That's O-N-D-E-C-K.com slash Rome for a free consultation. Do that right now. Rex number seven. Rex Hoggart is my guest. Rex, after all these years, we finally come together. We do it in person. It is so good to see you. I How are you? I got to be honest with you. Looking forward to this so much for the last week ever since I heard about it. And then I walk up and I see Pat Perez walking away. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going on after Pat Perez. That's, that's a tough act to follow, actually. Oh, yeah. yeah. What, what's your take on Pat? And in terms of a sport that usually does not have that kind of personality, that kind of swagger, anything about Pat Perez? What amazes me about him, and he was on the telecast for the match last year in Vegas, and I was really curious to see how that was going to work right. out. Because he is outspoken. I mean, he, he you know he's on a sodium pentothal drip. He, he doesn't have an unspoken thought. And you sit and you watch, and, and I listen to him. And, and actually, he you know we talked about Tony Romo, how good he is in the booth. I think Pat is just as good when it comes to golf because he sees things that other announcers don't and other announcers won't talk about. And he's, he was awesome at it. He, he is awesome. He's an amazing personality. And I just had to remind him that he, he has a show on satellite where he does his best Pat impression. He came on my podcast and absolutely tore it up. And I just want to remind him this is a different room. And he was fine. He was great. He, he's had to make sure that he knew where he was. Now, you've been a staple on this program over the years. Great to sit down. How's your life? How are things? How's the family? What's going on? Everybody's good. Yeah, you and I were just talking. I'm glad my youngest son, he's 14, he's playing high school golf. And so he was excited about that. And that kind of came out of nowhere, which... So for a golfer, you don't want to, you know, I didn't never want to force my kids into it. And so it was so much fun because now I got someone to go to the range with. I don't have to make excuses to go play golf. And it's, uh, so everyone's good. It, it's going to be a busy year. Two weeks in Hawaii to start the year, then when you're back here. So it's going to be a different year on the PGA Tour, a lot of two, three-week stretches. But it, it's going to be compact, and I think the fans are going to like it better. Rex, number seven, joining us. All right, so I had Tony Finau on in the first hour. He's part of that group with Xander and Tiger. What do you make of that trio? It's going to be entertaining. I mean, it's kind of the future of golf. I'm, I, my guess is Tiger lobbied for that, to be quite frank with you, because President's Cup captain this year, you got to think he's a Ryder Cup captain very, very soon in the future. And these are the guys that are going to be on his team. And he knows them. He got to know Tony, obviously, last year at the Ryder Cup a little bit better. But it'll give him an opportunity to see exactly what they can do and, and where their game is at right now. And the interesting thing is, after following Tiger now for two days out here, he's not going to be, you know, both those guys are bombers. They're part of the new generation. And he's not going to be drawn into some sort of long drive contest. And in a weird way, I think it's actually going to help him because he's just going to realize, yeah, I'm not, I'm not in that league. I'm going to play what, my What a game. weird thought, right? I mean, you're right, but what a strange thing to say when you think about that, that he's not going to get drawn into a long bombing contest, Tiger. It, I don't know that he ever did, but certainly at this stage in his life, at this stage in his career after four back surgeries, he's not going to go out and start to try to do things that he just can't do. And I don't want to make it sound like he's not he's plenty long enough off the tee. He's not in that category. Hey, listen, it's like any other athlete. As you get older, you make adjustments in your game, what you can and can't do, and you find other ways to get it done. You mentioned the Ryder Cup. In your opinion, what makes a good Ryder Cup captain, and how do you think he would do with that job? I, I had this conversation just a few weeks ago with some European players when they named Padre Harrington their captain for the next time around. And I thought Paul Casey had the best answer. And he goes, the captain is what that team needs. And by that, he meant that Thomas Bjorn, the European captain the last time around, he wasn't the same person as a captain as he had been for all those years as a player. Normally he was outspoken and, and kind of loud and kind of their version of Pat Perez we were just talking about. But as a captain, that team didn't need that. That team just needed someone to sit back and make sure all the pieces were in place and let them go out and play. 
And I think a good captain is what his team needs. And in this particular case, I think no one knows that better than Tiger Woods. Rex Hogger joining us here on location. Now, I had Xander on the show two weeks ago, and we talked about the career that he's had. He's part of that great class of 2011 that had one monster after another. What do you make of the class of players, that class, and how do you explain their success that they're having so early in their career? I think we're going to continue to see that for all the reasons that Justin and Jordan and now Xander and all the rest of them have talked about. It's because... When you come out on tour now, it's a conversation we had a few weeks ago with the Sony. When, when a guy like Stuart Sink joined the tour, all the great players were the older guys, whereas now it's completely flipped. The vast majority of great players are younger guys, and I think that's because of what they do now in junior golf and high school golf and college golf. They play better courses. They're better conditioned. They have swing coaches. They have all the equipment they need. So when they show up on tour, they don't need to make any adjustments, maybe like guys had to do back in the Tiger Woods era. You know, it's funny, Rex, like, I don't want to get drawn into this. I don't want to get sucked into it's only Tiger because it's not only about Tiger. There's so many great players on tour and so many great personalities, but it's hard not to get sucked into it. So let me ask you, what kind of a schedule do you expect him to play this year? And do you think he's got a major in him still? I do think he has a major. Now, everything has to fall into place, as we saw last year. I mean, he put himself right in the hunt at the Open in the PGA, and there's always going to be a guy that challenges you. On, on those two weeks, Brooks Kepka wasn't going to be beat at the PGA Championship. But if you look at where his game's at right now, and I think at the way he's going to do his schedule, he's always very secretive, but I think he gave a little bit away. He was asked about Phil not playing this week, and he said, look, everybody's going to have to make adjustments, including himself, Tiger. And I think what we're going to end up seeing is not nearly as many events as last year. Uh, you're not going to see those two, three, four-week runs like he had specifically at the end of the season because everything now is going to be geared towards those majors. It was great winning the Tour Championship. It was a seminal moment in his career, but he still thinks number 15 is out there for him. So what do you think other golfers in the field think about Tiger and where he is right now? What would they say? For so long, it was a curiosity, especially for the younger players. They didn't know it. They'd never seen that guy at his best. And I think Eastlake was an eye-opening experience for everyone, but more so for the players because now all of a sudden they saw what he does when he's at his best, which is play prevent defense. And that's what he did at Eastlake. He made them come after him. And I think it was a good learning experience. And I, it's funny you know, that you asked for this. If Ernie Els was sitting here and he heard a younger player say, yeah, I want to play Tiger at his best, Ernie would laugh. No, you don't. You don't want <laughs> right. that. Right. They don't know what they're saying. Exactly. And, and I think what you're going to end up with is these younger players get more and more of a taste of this. I don't know that a, that Tiger aura ever comes back where he intimidates guys just standing on the first tee. But I think if he continues at this pace, we'll see what guys start keeping an eye on the leaderboard at the very least. Rex Seven, Rex Hogger joining us, breaking it all down. One guy we have not talked about yet is Jordan Spieth. Now, he missed the cut at the Sony in Hawaii. And while he said it was a learning experience, he also said, quote, I'm tired of learning experiences, end quote. What do you make of the way he looked in Hawaii? He did not look happy. And I think I saw someone on Twitter say it best that, George's not very good at looking happy when he's not playing well on the golf course. Great and, line. And that's, that's the honest-to-God truth. And, uh, look, we want to fixate on the putting, and everyone is kind of taking their opinions on whether if he had the yips or not. I do not think so. He led the field on Friday in putt strokes game putting. Guys with the yips don't do that. However, having followed him for those two rounds, having followed him yesterday when he played with Tiger, his iron game's off. It's going to take a little while, but it always boils down to the putting. That's how he was able to do what he did for all those years, and he's going to have to find a way to, to make those 10-footers automatic again like they were. So if you had to guess, do you think it's how much of it's technical and then how much of it's mental? I don't think it's technical. I don't think it's ever technical when it comes to Jordan Spieth. I mean, you can't explain what he was able to do for all that time on the greens with, with technical things. You can't sit there and say, these are the things you need to do. I think he needs to get back to feeling that, that freedom again and just looking at the lines. I think Ben 
Crenshaw said it best. When he was putting his best, he actually saw train tracks and could smell the smoke of the train. Well, that's incredible. Yeah, right. and it was. I think the great putters are all about feel. I mean, look, Tiger tinkers with his putting all the time, but it, it's still the same stroke that it was back in 1997. Yeah, the whole yips thing is like so taboo, right? Guys don't even want to talk about it. But like, can you even explain it? Like, how do you fall into it, and then how do you get out of it? it you can't be loose with that word, and I think we've gotten right. a little too loose with it, to be honest with you. And you've seen guys explain throughout. what you mean by that. Well, how, how are we too loose with it? Well, I don't think. And, well, in Jordan's case, I would say that maybe we're a little too loose with that. And I, I saw it even with Tiger Woods. There was a time when everyone seemed to think he had the yips with uh, with his chipping. Ship yips. And I don't think you come out of that. I've seen too many players not come out of that to say that, oh, well, he had him for this 12-month period, and now he's better on the other side. I don't buy that. I think maybe he struggled with his technique at that point of time, which I think probably Jordan's struggling right now with his technique because there's no way you can have the yips. I've seen it ruin too many guys' careers. All right, so one of the rule changes this year is guys were allowed to putt with the flag stick in. From a purely visual standpoint, what's it like seeing guys putting with the stick in? Are you used to that yet? It's not a good look. It's yeah. not, right? No, it's not a good look. And, and the best, At all. And the best was Adam Scott because he said in, in Hawaii when we asked him about it, and he said every putty's going to putt with the flag in. We said, well, what about an eight-footer on the 72nd green at the Masters? <laughs> right. And he goes, look, I've done things unconventional. I, I don't care how they look if I think it's going to let me win. It, what I'm going to find fascinating is the USGA and the RNA did this for pace of play. That's it. And for you and I, if we go out, if we leave the flag stick in, we are going to pick up a little bit of time. It is easier. I've done it. It speeds up play. For these guys, you have Bryson DeChambeau and Adam Scott and others who have seen it as a competitive advantage. And that's not what the rulemakers intended at all. And I think if we get to the end of this season and Bryson DeChambeau has kept it in on every putt and he's leading the tour in strokes, game putting, I think then they're going to take a closer look at it, regardless of the optics. No, it doesn't look great. They did not intend this to be a competitive advantage. But, but will there be guys who leave it in no matter what? Bryson did. I mean, he did for the first two weeks of the season. And it creates an awkward situation when you have one guy you right. pair with Dustin Johnson and he wants it out and one guy wants it in. And it's kind of awkward. It doesn't look good. There's going to be times, again, if, if the guy leaves it in on the 18th hole at Augusta, then we're going to have some problems. Rex Harder joining us. It's a weird, weird look. All right, so also the knee height drop rule. What do you make of that so far, and what do the players make of that rule? It, it, again, not a good look to see a guy curtsying. I mean, it, we can't come up with a, with a good idea. It's funny. I was jokingly saying to guys, I can't show you visually, but it's kind of like a proposal. It's sort right. of how the USJ wants you to do it, where you go down on one knee. And I, I told a couple of guys that, and they're just shaking their heads. And the problem's going to be is, and we've already seen it the first three weeks of the season, guys are so accustomed to going to shoulder height that it's immediately, that's where they're going to go to. And, and you're going to end up redropping, and it's going to create issues. Now, six months from now, we're probably not talking about it, but I've seen some ugly drops. And, it, it, again, not a good look. Rex Hoggard is my guest. Now, Rex, aside from Tiger and Spieth, what are some of the other storylines that you're interested in seeing and how they play out this year? Well, Jason Day, I mean, the defending champion here, he spoke yep. with the media yesterday. I mean, he certainly has all the tools in place. We've seen him get to number one in the world. We've seen him win majors. And as well as he putts, he, he really broke it down during the offseason of what he needed to get better at, and that was his iron play. And he said yesterday if he can hit 70% of his greens in regulation for the season, he feels like he can get back to that dominant time frame. And I just don't know. This will be a good week for him because it's a challenging golf course, and you do have to control your golf ball. And as you get further into the, you know, into the regular season, but again, the competition is so hard now. He's going to have to do better. All right, so we'll see this week, and we'll have a better idea. But how close do you think he is to being that guy who's right in the hunt for every major the way he used to be? 
I think at that level, he's very close. And, and again, this is just a matter of percentages. Last year, he hit 65.2% of his fairways. This year, if he hits 70, he feels like he can be dominant. So the difference between 12th in the world and 1st in the world is 5 percentage points. I mean, if you want to break it down that way. I mean, it is a, a, a very finite amount of time. And But again, you have so many players. Justin Rose and Justin Johnson, all of these players that you need to contend with. I think it's going to be hard for anyone to be that dominant for a prolonged period of time. All right, so who do you like this week? John Rahm actually is a name that keeps propping up. I mean, he obviously he's won here before. He seems to do all the things you need to do well in this golf course, particularly off the tee. I mean, and he's bold. You see it. We just talked about the younger players. He has no fear whatsoever when it comes. He doesn't see rough or bunkers or water hazards or whatever the case may be. He just wants to hit the driver as hard as he can, and that's a good combination here. Hey, if you ever missed a big play during the game because you were babysitting food on the grill, that's a problem and a hassle. The answer is Master Built Smoker. Let a Master Built Smoker simplify your game day experience. Spend more time with your family and friends and actually enjoy the big game. They have the perfect smoker for the beginner or for the bar. Barbecue Pro. Master built smokers are available at Home Depot, Lowe's, Sam's Club, Academy, Bass Pro, and Cabela's. For more information, go to masterbuilt.com. That's masterbuilt.com. My man, Mike Smith, joining me. Legendary jockey. Mike, it is so good to see you. How are things, bud? Thanks for having me on. It's always good to have you on. So, before we talk horse racing, Mike, I know you've got a pretty good stick. Have you played this course, and how does it treat you? <laughs> it's been a while. I, have, I haven't got to play for a while. I kind of had a little bit of a shoulder injury about a year and a half ago, and I just kind of stayed away from the golf now. I'm feeling great as far as, as my shoulder goes, but I don't know. I want to be swinging it and mess, mess my main game up, and that's right. You know, have you not played golf in a year and a half? Yeah, about that long. Do you miss it? Yeah, I mean, I miss it, but uh, I, I like my shoulder feeling good. <laughs> yeah, something about <laughs> golf. Every great athlete I know, not everyone, but most of them love golf because it's the great equalizer, right? They, they can so dominate and master their technique and their craft, but you never get there with golf. As somebody who's <laughs> dominated a sport for as long as you have, what do you like about that sport? What's it do for you when you play? Golf? Yes. Uh, it gets me angry most of the time. Uh, <laughs> it's supposed to be relaxing, but uh, all my friends seem to be a little bit better than me, and they wind up... Uh, Taking taking what my wages away that I that I made over the week, so it's kind of done me some good to stay away for a little bit. Sounds like the worst sport ever, Mike. You're, <laughs> you're a pretty prideful guy, and you're going to be very responsible with your money. I'm not sure what you get out of that game now. You know, I, I it, it's nice to get out and just get get out with friends and just hang out and talk talk life. It's good. Mike Smith joining us. He's a Hall of Famer, the leading jockey in Breeders' Cup history. I know that from experience. He won us a couple of those trophies. Mike, go way back. What was it like growing up in Roswell, New Mexico? And as a kid, did you ever dream that you would go on to become a world-class athlete and one of the best to ever do it? You know, it was great growing up around there, for, you know, first of all, because I, you know, I was surrounded with horses. So, you know, I got to you know, practice my craft quite a bit, uh, a lot of great, uh, but it was more quarter horses. Uh, you know, Jim, you know, with the you know, differences, one's kind of a dragster compared to, a, you know, a NASCAR or whatever. Uh, but uh, at least I got a chance to get on a whole lot of horses, and, and it really, really got me going, and, you know, where I learned my, my horsemanship anyway before I went on to the to the bigger leagues, and then and then really got into some 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 great you know horses as as you well know. I've been so blessed to have done so well these last few years. But uh, you know, coming from from New Mexico was always it's always a good 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 time. It's good to go back. 
Every time you come on, the folks from back there always want to tweet. They want to email, and they talk about how <laughs> proud they are of you and how you've represented them so well. You know, you mentioned the fact that you've been on some great horses, Mike. The fact is you were on the back of another legendary horse in Justify. What was it like to win the Triple Crown this far into your career at age 52? I'm, you know, I'm so glad that, that well, first of all, I'm glad that I, that I even got to, you know, to, to win a Triple Crown, but uh, I think winning it at, at this age even means more because, uh, you know, you, you just appreciate everything more as you get older, and, and now at the back end of my career, what a way to, you know, to, to kind of, not not that I plan on anything anytime soon, uh, you know, as long as I stay healthy, I like to go to three or four, four or five years, but... Uh, I know that if I wanted my 20s or my 30s, I, I wasn't going to appreciate it like I do now. Uh, it, it's It's been life-changing, to be honest with you. You know, Mike Smith, my guest, Tom Brady's talked about playing four or five more years. He's 41. He's still at the top of his game. You're 52. You're still at the top of your game. How how do you approach it? How have you managed to stay that sharp, that competitive, that long? And what is your approach? What is your process? Well, if I did anything right early on in my career, it was, was, was take up physical fitness, you know, which believe it or not in, in in almost every sport you know it's it's a big thing but it, but as a rider it wasn't uh, a lot of riders thought that they'd get too heavy you know if they went into the gym and they worked out uh, which was they're just really misled you know they never really had hired the right kind of people uh you know to, to teach you how to work out and not necessarily bulk up you know but to to get uh you know stamina and and different kind of of, of training i've hired good trainers at a young age and, and it became a way of life for me it, it's, it's not just a hobby. It's something I have to do at least five days a week. So, I, again, so if I did anything right, that was taking that up because now in my later years, uh, man, I can still take the young guys into the gym and still hang with them. So as long as, long What's as that I like, Mike? Keep, What's that like when you bring the young guys in? I, I love it. I still love it. <laughs> it, it really, it really, I, mean, I really do. I, I feel that I'm every bit as fit now, Jim, if not even fitter than, than I was when I was in my 30s. Mike Smith joining us. So let me ask you this. If you're in, I mean, you're in that kind of shape and the end is nowhere in sight as far as I'm concerned. But every great athlete ultimately will come to grips with this. Something inevitably goes. What do you think goes first in your case? Will it be the will to prepare and put in the work or your skills? What's going to go first? Oh, wow. Uh, they always say legs. <laughs> they always say for riders legs. But, but I, I'm in pretty good shape. I think when that, when that, when that will, when I'm not, I'm not enjoying it as much as I am uh, right now, that, that's when it will be time to hang up. Uh, blessed to have done very well and, and, and to be smart about uh, about my money and put things away so so that that part I'm, I'm okay with you know right now I'm having just as much if not more fun uh, riding so as long as that that stays I'll continue to ride and once that starts to slip and I'm dreading going into the jocks room instead of can't wait to get there then, then it'd be time to hang it up we're talking to jockey Mike Smith something else about that that's like there's so many things about your sport that is so different than any other sport but even like going into the jockeys room I mean you don't have other professional teams that are going out there to beat the hell out of each other dressing together and hanging out together <laughs> but then you go into a jockeys room where you guys are constantly battling and competing and you're all in the same space what's that like who who runs that room it, it can get a little it can get a little heated every now and then but but you know all in all you spend so much time together you know you really your family but you know once you put them silks on and walk out the jocks room door of course you're battling against each other but you know you learn you know you learn to to, to get along it teaches you to get along because you can get pretty pretty upset with with somebody and uh, you got to learn how to handle it when you get back into the room they find you nowadays too much money if you get into a little <laughs> you know a little little fight and they'll actually suspend you so you have to learn to control yourself and, and uh, be able to f forgive and forget.
you know, it's maybe it's the worst analogy ever, Mike, but like you don't want to drive angry, right? You don't want to hit the road no. and be emotional. So if something's going down and you've got other guys, we're talking about animals that are more than a thousand pounds running at a high rate. It's extremely dangerous. The last thing you want is somebody out there who's not right of mind or who's in a bad way or a bad place. Does that concern you? What happens then? Well, I mean, if you have a beef with somebody, it, it certainly can be concerning. But, but uh, all in all, to be honest with you, uh, even though we walk, walk back into the same locker room, we, we all handle it pretty well, man. And, and every now and then you'll have, you know, you'll have something. But uh, by the end of the day, you've, you've pretty much made up and everything's you know, back to normal. And there's a fundamental level of respect because you're all out there and you know what's at stake. You know, you've been asked so many times because you've ridden so many amazing horses, who's your favorite? And you've always been very careful not to say that or who the best <laughs> is. But Justify might be different than all of the rest. Is that the best horse you've ever been on? He's certainly the, by far the best three-year-old I've ever been on. You know, I, I like to categorize them. I mean, because they're, they're all different. Uh, but I, 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 I've never seen, and I don't think we'll, I'm not too sure we'll ever see a, a horse do what he did. Uh, in 112 days, you know, this horse, you know, was training just 112 days and won the Triple <laughs> Crown. I mean, that's just, that's just incredible. You know the, the the job that Bob Baffert and his crew did to, to to get this horse through the Triple Crown was, in its own right, would would probably put him in the Hall of Fame if, if that's the only three races he ever won. So is he the horse of the year, or does Accelerate have something to say about that? Although Accelerate had a great year, uh, how how can you deny a Triple Crown winner, an undefeated Triple Crown winner? It, it'd be almost impossible what what he was able to pull off. You know, you got to remember that Triple Crown races aren't races you can you know you, you have to you have to run in those races. You know, when once you become an older horse, you can point for a race and 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 kind of train up to one. I mean, it it is just what it is. You have to just run in these three races and. You know, even if you come out with little body sore or this and that, I mean, they got to figure out how to get this horse right back in two weeks and then three weeks going into the Belmont, uh, which is almost, it's almost it's impossible. Insane. It's incredible, really. It really is. So, so again, you know, the job that Bob did to, to get this horse uh, through the whole thing is just out, out of this world. What do you think would have happened? Yeah, maybe it's not the best question to ask because how do you not give a Triple Crown winner the Eclipse Award, but had they met in the Breeders' Cup Classic, what do you think would have happened? And justified by five. By five, by five. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I don't honestly, Jim. I don't think we saw the best of this horse. You know, he came out of the Triple Crown with a little wear and tear on him, and he was going to need, you know, a good sixty days to recover from it, and and that wouldn't have given him enough time to to run into the Classic. But if he'd have come out in good order, you know, where they could have, I, I can't see anybody beating him in the in the Classic. Mike Smith joining me for a few more moments. You know, Mike, you've got one of the great nicknames in the sport or in any sport, Big Money Mike, because you always come through when the stakes are highest. You know, I ask this of every great athlete, and I know, I know you'll say to me, I've been really blessed to ride some amazing horses, and you have, but the fact is, you're at your best on the biggest stage. You've proven this time and time again. Can you consciously dial it up for the big races? Is there something you do? <laughs> you know, yeah, you, you, you can, uh, and, and I do, uh, to be honest with you, Jim. There's something about, man, that pressure that, 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 that uh, I'm addicted to it. You know, it really makes me... Uh, it makes me raise my game to a whole other level. It makes me focus. It, it for some reason, uh, it it slows things down for me. You know, I, I can see the race just just slows down for me. Believe it or not, even though you're going a little over 40 miles per hour, you know, with inches within within each other, for for me, it just seems the picture just gets bigger. It gets, you know, as long as I can get my horse into a, a happy place, a good, happy rhythm, uh, then I just map out 
the trip from there and, and man it just it just I, I can't wait for a big race you know mike you've won so many big races for us we've had some amazing times and amazing memories you rode misdirection to two breeders cup wins and of course you were on the back of shared belief who tragically died at the age of four after losing that battle with colic you and i have talked about the champ in the past for those who don't know what was shared belief like as a horse and i'm not looking for you to say that he was the best but was he in the conversation with the best that you've ridden oh without a doubt and and again we didn't get to see the best of him i mean he was just really starting to come into himself but he was an extremely athletic horse uh you know you've seen so many pictures of him you know up high in the air jumping because he loved to play and kick and, and and buck all the time i mean he was just uh full of energy uh, for for not a, for a horse lacking maybe a little bit of size, I mean he had that much more heart uh, heart and more. Uh, he was a fighter, and you ever got him into a head and head battle down the lane? Uh, well, I don't think there was ever a time that he did get beat. You know, I mean he always he always came first whenever you were in a head and head battle. He wasn't gonna let nobody beat him. Only once, only once. You know, we had the uh, the unfortunate well. <laughs> thing in in West Virginia, but only once. And to your point that. That wasn't his fault coming out of the yeah, gate that, in the classic. No, that, that 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 he didn't even get to run. I felt something right away in that. But but the only time was the misfortune, of course, was the Breeders' Cup, but where he didn't get his chance to really show who he was. You know, he still finished fourth after getting you know just eliminated uh, several times in the race, uh, and still only you know getting beat a couple of three lengths. and a half lengths maybe. And even in the very end, I thought he's still going to run them down. Like I think I mean, even in defeat, that might have been one of his finest moments ever. The way he did not spit the bit, he didn't give in. He just kept battling. Without a doubt, I mean, he. There's no telling how many links he lost getting, getting, you know, just eliminated from the start, uh, halfway down the stretch the first time, and then down the backside as well. I mean, he just never got a, never got a break, and still ran as well as he ran. It's pretty, pretty incredible race. A couple, couple of thoughts, Mike, really quickly. What about the race here? Since we're in San Diego, one of his greatest moments, I thought, and one of our greatest memories was when you won the Pacific Classic at Del Mar. This is an amazing race, arguably the most important race on the West Coast. He did it as a younger horse. He did it as a three-year-old. I know you've ridden thousands of winners, but what do you remember about that day and that race? Do you? Yeah, he was just like driving your favorite sports car, man. I mean, he he was on the bridle the whole time. Uh, everywhere I pointed, I mean, he was just eager to go. He had such a good trip that day, and I remember, you know, heading for home and, and just kind of easing him out, and it, the race was pretty much over. Uh, he just took off with we beat, I believe it was Toasted New York. Was it Toasted New York? Toasted New York. He held off. Game, Game on Dude, too. Game on Dude. Game on Dude was in there. Uh, who I wind up riding later on and, and having a whole lot of success. So to beat a horse like Game on Dude, no, which... Mike, you had the choice between that day, didn't you? You had the choice I, of balance no, probably between Game, did. On, Game on Dude, who had won that race and was an incredible horse, and shared belief. And we, I remember thinking, I think man, Mike's getting off that horse. Come on, our <laughs> horse. This is great. Yeah, I, actually, I did I did take off of him. And I, I'd won several great ones on, on yeah, Game you did. on Dude. And he was a tough horse, but... Uh, uh, like I said, uh, shared belief at the time. He was the best older horse, uh, three-year-old and up, actually, uh, at the time than, than, than any, anything we had in the United States anyway. He was world-ranked number one. Listen, last thought, you're going to be a part of the Dubai World Cup again. I've never been there. What is, what's that like? What's it like to take that trip, and what's racing like in Dubai? Well, racing's incredible in Dubai. I mean, it's a fun trip to go to. Uh, it's it's always a lot of fun. So we're hoping that we get there. Uh, I'm not 100 percent sure okay. yet or not if if we if, if Bob is going to decide to run McKenzie there or not. Uh, we, it's still kind of up in the air. But uh, well, I hope we get a chance to get back there. It's just incredible, you know. When you're right running against uh, well, now I, th I believe the race is worth 15 million. I believe it is right now. Uh, when I wanted it was 10 at the time with a horse called Arrogate, but now it's up to 15. Wow. So man, I, I would absolutely love to take a shot at it anyway that's a lot of cash then you got the pegasus pegasus is something interesting for those who don't know what that is what's that race all about 
Well, we just are, you know, it's, 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 it's a young race, uh, you know, and it's worth a lot of money. This year, there, there's two of them. You have the, the, uh, the dirt race and you have a big grass race as well. So the dirt race is $9 million and, the, and the grass race, I believe, is 7 might be might be six, but it's, it's seven minutes, which I'm going to miss both of those, which I'm a little uh, hurt about that. I was kind of hoping to get there as well, but uh, you know, it, it, it's a great it's a great new race that we have. Uh, it, it's going to take a little bit of time to get get the, the build up for it, uh, but but it's starting to come. You know, they're doing a lot of uh, a lot of great stuff, a lot of great entertainers that, that, that come in for the for the race and entertain before. I think we got Snoop Dogg this year that's going to come over there and. And have a little concert, and it's going to be a whole lot of fun. But I, I think in the next several years, you're going to see that that day with those two races really grow. So finally, Mike, those who know know it's a beautiful sport. It's an amazing sport. It's not a perfect sport. It's like anything else. It's got some issues. But if you and I are trying to grow this sport and recruit new people to the sport, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, that's that's a big question, man. That's a question that everyone asks. Right. Uh, you know, it's just you know doing what we're doing now. To be honest with you, Jim, just just talk about it more. Uh, if you can get people out there just one time, uh, nine times out of ten, they're gonna they're gonna become a fan and, and they're gonna enjoy it. It's, it's it's truly the greatest two minutes of sports in the world. Good night now. How to show up with Coca Cola energy? You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it. Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive. Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love. <laughs> 